just ask with a very clear conviction for the mission. Um, and to understand the rest is in the donor's control, right? We don't get to control whether they say yes or no, but we can, we can make the strongest and best ask possible. Welcome to the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast. Whether you are a seasoned professional or a first-time fundraiser, we have the advice you need to take your next step toward major gift mastery. I'm your host, Tom Dahmer, president of Abundant Vision Philanthropic Consulting. Today, I'm pleased to welcome to the show, Colleen Garland, Vice President for Advancement at Kenyon College. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Thanks so much, Tom. Happy to be here and happy that you invited me. Well, this is a fundraising podcast. We are definitely going to focus on some fundraising here. But before we do, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, a little bit about your family and what you do when you're not focused on setting fundraising records. (laughs) Well, you're kind to set that context. So um, I'm a native of New Orleans, and that's where all of my aunts and uncles and cousins uh, still live. Um, my family left New Orleans and moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and then to Tyler, Texas, where my twin sister and I both went to junior high and to high school. So I made my way to Ohio for college. And surprise, surprise, I met and married an Ohio boy. So I have stayed. Um, and actually, today we are celebrating 32 years of marriage. So <clears throat> it sounds like a good move um, on my part to have stayed. We have two adult children who continue to bring me a great deal of joy. Uh, As Tom, you know, Greta lives in Pittsburgh and is working as a dietitian and also as a yoga teacher. And our son, Ethan, is in Chicago um, and traveling the world as a self-employed videographer, primarily working in the music industry. So that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on your anniversary. That's that's Thanks. wonderful. Thank you. So you serve as the vice president for advancement at Kenyon College, certainly a remarkable school with a great tradition. I'd love to hear about your work there. What are your goals? How big's your team? And, and what does it mean to be AVP at Kenyon? Yeah, so I would say I feel like being vice president at a small school is a little bit like having two or three different jobs. And fortunately, I love them all. Um, So first, I lead a team of 40 professionals in our advancement division, where we handle all alumni and parent outreach and engagement and fundraising. Um, Mm. We've got some pretty ambitious goals. We're closing in now on the last six months of a $500 million campaign. Wow. Where we're at about $532 million in attainment. So we are sprinting past that deadline as opposed to crawling to it, which feels really good. Um, It's been fun to see the ways that Kenyan donors really care about this place and have made Mm -hmm. some pretty significant investments in the faculty and students who are here. The other aspect of the job is serving, of course, as a member of the senior staff for the college. So I report directly to the president and I am often involved in decision-making about areas of the college that have almost nothing to do with fundraising. So that taps a different side of my brain, um, and I really enjoy that. And then I guess the third piece is I work really closely with our board of trustees. Mm -hmm. So both the the board that we have now, but I also staff the governance and nominating committee 
yeah. of the board, which means with the help of my team, we're really responsible for identifying um, good, strong candidates as future leaders for the college and then helping to onboard them as now for us anyway, we, we're looking for the leaders who will lead us into our third century um, because we're celebrating the college's 200th anniversary in 2024. So feels like big, a big responsibility to be cultivating and, and bringing on board those new leaders for Kenyan. And that's a fun part of the job. I'd say, well, that's, that's a remarkable position you have there, Colleen. Yeah. Uh, well, going back, because you're down the road quite a way, but going all the way back to the beginnings, how did you get your start in the fundraising world? What was your first fundraising role and, and what was your focus in that position? So I actually had a wonderful um, mentor. When I was in college, I waited tables at Max and Irma's and in that role got to know the woman who was in charge of marketing for the, for the chain. <clears throat> and she actually gave me great advice after my first job out of college was not something that I was thrilled with. She said, Colleen, go work for a small nonprofit where you'll get to do everything. You'll get to do event planning, public relations, fundraising. And so I followed her advice. So my first fundraising job was at the March of Dimes. Um, and I stayed there three and a half years. It was almost entirely event-based fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really fortunate to receive a scholarship from the local NSFRE chapter, which of course is now AFP, Association okay. of Fundraising Professionals, sure. uh, to attend their international conference. And when I went to that conference, it was such an eye-opener for me as still a very young professional to realize, oh, I I could make a career out of this. Like this isn't just a job. I could, I could make a career out of this. So once I did decided that I wanted to do that, I became very intentional for me about wanting to work in the higher education sector where hmm. um, lives are just being changed every single day. And I knew I also wanted to move away from the event fundraising to something that was more sustainable. I'll bet. What was that like for you transitioning from a position that was purely event focused into a more traditional higher ed model? Yeah, it was. I was so ready for it, Tom. And I think back, I was really hungry to learn. I was so excited to get the position at Denison. And it was a campaign role that I had. So I worked um, primarily with volunteers. So I really wasn't doing the asking that I moved into later in mm -hmm. my career, but it was working with volunteers that we set up campaign committees in 15 cities around the country. Um, and it was probably for me, the biggest obstacle. And I, as I think back with some reflection now that I'm older, it may have been real or it may have been my own perception or what we now call imposter syndrome, but probably my <laughs> Biggest obstacle was just getting over the fact that I, I wasn't a Denison alum. Like a lot yeah. of people I worked with just assumed I was a, an alum and I didn't go to a similar kind of school. And so mm. I felt like I really had to gain the credibility of the audience of like, yeah. I get you. I know why this place is so special. I believe, I share that belief that it's a really special kind of education. Um, but it took, it took a little while, whereas I watched some of my colleagues who were alums, who sort of had that automatic in. Um, but it was just an obstacle to overcome, and I figured out a way to do that. 
can imagine. So that's one obstacle that you've had. Uh, I'm curious, were there any other struggles that you had as a, a young fundraiser? Um, honestly, I mean, partly I, I'm one of these people that only focuses on the positive. I, I literally have this ability to tune out bad things. So yes. I don't even remember. I'm sure there were very significant obstacles. All I can think of is the the little ones um, of learning the industry. Like, you yeah. know, again, I, I'm not a first gen student, but I feel like I'm close to it. Like my mm-hmm. dad went to college when he was married with twin babies and he went to night school, right? Mm-hmm. And he was the only one in his family to go to college. And at that point, when I was younger, none of my first cousins had ever been to college. So my whole sort of message from my early childhood was you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to college. But we had no sort of understanding of like the different sectors within higher ed, you know, there's the big R1s and then there's the privates and then the regionals and the nationals. I had no idea about any of that. And rather than be sort of intimidated by it, I was really excited by it. I was excited Mm. to learn about it and really excited about what all the various sectors of higher ed had to offer. So I'm sure there were times when it felt daunting, but in my memory, it all just felt super exciting. Tom Dauber here reminding you that spring is just around the corner. Many of your biggest donors will be returning home from their winter homes and settling in for a few months. This is the perfect time to begin the conversations that will lead to the next major gift for your organization. It is also the perfect time to brush up on all the skills you need to build rapport, develop relationships, and make a direct solicitation of your donor. I cover all of these topics and more in my online class, Abundant Vision Academy. Head over to thomas-dauber-s-school.teachable.com. The link is in the show description. Now, back to the episode. When you think back Mm -hmm. on your early career, could you tell us about your very first major gift ask? Mm -hmm. How much it was for, how it went, what you learned from that experience? So I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and so it was a woman named Norma Mann, an alumna at, at Denison. It's in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hmm. Um, I went to call on Norma with the campaign volunteer. So as I mentioned, I was working in the early days with volunteers. In this case, the volunteer did not feel comfortable asking. So we agreed hmm. ahead of time that I would do the ask. And I probably like every other fundraiser, my heart was pounding so hard. I thought I was going to jump out of my chest. I was so nervous and I'm sure she could tell that I was so nervous. Um, so the ask amount was Mm $25,000. Now this would have been maybe 1993 or four. So it sure felt to me like an awful lot of money. Um, yeah. And I got really, really fortunate that she agreed. So to, to have my first time asking for a major gift to be successful was, I think, a, an important boost to my confidence. Um, <clears throat> it was, I was just thrilled. Um, and when I think of what I learned, I learned a couple of different things based on the hat I'm wearing. So I learned, I think, as an individual fundraiser, not to be afraid and to mm-hmm. just ask with a very clear conviction for the mission. Um, 
and to understand the rest is in the donor's control, right? We don't get to control whether they say yes or no, but we can, we can make the strongest and best ask possible at the right time. But the thing I learned as a leader is how important it is to have some early success, whether mm. that's for a brand new fundraiser or for a president that who's new to the fundraising, like to really try to tee up some early wins for the people that I work with to build their confidence that they can be successful at this work. You know, when I, when I think about our interactions in the past, um, I, I've, I've personally learned a lot from you, but one of the reasons I love asking this question is because I keep finding there's so many nonprofit leaders out there, especially in the small, like the not the, you know, nonprofit with a capital N, you know, small shops, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of executives that have no experience in fundraising, really. And so they, they've they not yet experienced the the sheer terror of that first major gift ask. And, and so it's wonderful to hear you talk about having that experience. And, and what, what our listeners don't know, um, and I'm going to embarrass you here, Colleen, but, but Colleen is, is truly one of the better fundraisers I've ever seen solicit someone for a gift. Uh, Colleen, you have a wonderful way about you. And um, I don't know, I, I, I just, I, I'll never forget. We went up to visit uh, a dentist together back when we worked together at the College of Dentistry. Yep. And, you know, the way you walked this donor through their giving history and explained to them, oh, you could have your own fund. You could have your own endowment. And it just, kind of opened that person's eyes up. It was just so instructive to me as a young fundraiser. Uh, and so, Colleen, for you to go from being someone who was really struggling with that very first ask to someone who very clearly feels incredibly comfortable with the donor, it's very illustrative, you know, for lots of people that that with the practice and the work that, that they can develop that, that comfort level. Well, first, you're very kind, uh, Tom, and I, I'll just be the first one to say I had the just real good fortune in my career to learn from so many mm. talented and generous people. And so I've always taken seriously that responsibility for me to do the same. Um, but I also think, you know, once we get to the point where we can take ourselves out of it, meaning yeah. like it's not about us. Mm -hmm. It's about the institution and it's about the donor and, and we're the conduit to that, that for me, that helped, I think, with the issue of the nerves, like, right. It wasn't about the person saying yes or no to me. It was about the opportunity we were providing to them to make a real difference and to do something important with their accumulated wealth. And so it feels to me like a privilege to be able to be in those conversations with donors. So You've worked at a wide variety of colleges. You know, we've worked at small colleges. Uh, we worked together there at OSU for a bit. Um, all of them have their own unique qualities. Having worked at a large flagship like OSU, as well as small private liberal arts schools, could you talk about the positives and negatives of each? Yeah, so this is a really big question. Um, and I think the positive and negatives probably are unique to each person. Hmm. So... I really value the experience I had at every single institution because I learned something from every place. Ultimately, I decided for me, my sweet spot is the private liberal arts sector, but that's not because it's better. It's just because mm -hmm. it's a better fit for me. Um, so if I think back, you know, when I was a young fundraiser at 
at Denison, I just learned so much being part of a small team. I think that was an advantage for me starting out fresh where I got to work with the whole endeavor, right? I learned Mm. every aspect of the business because even though my job initially was in this campaign role, and then later I became one of our two first ever major gift officers there, I had visibility to how annual giving works, how alumni relations work. I worked closely with the research team. And I feel like I I had a view to learn the whole business in ways that may have been more difficult if I had started at a larger institution where you mm-hmm. tend to be a little bit more siloed. For me, and you'll maybe relate to this, Tom, because you, you had a front row seat. When I made the move to Ohio State, it was a challenge initially um, mm-hmm. to sort of learn how this big behemoth of an institution yeah. worked yeah. to figure out how to how to get things done but the work with the actual donors themselves did not feel that much different and mm-hmm. i think it turned out to be really fortunate to me that my first job at ohio state was in the college of dentistry because believe it or not there were some really important similarities to the work i had done at denison and mm. what i mean by that is at denison the peer to peer connection was really important when you think about a large place like Ohio State, the peer connection for most colleges is irrelevant. Like yeah. the numbers are so huge. You're so unlikely to actually know another person who was in your graduating class, for example. Mm-hmm. But at the College of Dentistry, I quickly learned that they sat by in alphabetical order. Yeah. So, right. So if you figured out like, oh, if I knew, let's say I was going to meet, you know, Dr. Smith from the class of 1976, mm-hmm. and I could say, oh, you must know Dr. Salad from the class of 1975, yeah. right? There was a way to just build that credibility um, mm-hmm. by understanding the relationships they had. And that allowed me to build on much of what I had learned at Denison. <clears throat> the other thing, and again, Tom, you know this, that I very quickly learned is Dental school is not something that our graduates look back on with fond memories. <laughs> that is the truth. It's not Those were not happy years. So learning how to tap into a different motivation mm. for giving was pretty essential to be successful. And you and others helped me see that for, for our alums there, it was a sense of gratitude for the lifestyle the profession provided them. Right. Yes. There were yeah. there was a sense of appreciation for strong training and a great profession. And there was a, a sense of gratitude um, mm-hmm. about that. So that, that was that was such a contrast for me going yeah. from the dental school to the pharmacy school. Yeah. Both are wonderful programs and both are doing a great job with their students presently. Uh, but, you know, pharmacy didn't have that history of, of really austere mm. training that the dental school did. Yep. And, and so in some ways it was a lot easier because people just, you know, loved the pharmacy school. And it, it was a, it was a shock to my system there that that was nice. It was pleasant. I was going to say that would, I'm sure that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. That's right. Some of the horror stories. So, you know, the other surprise for me, I'll have to be candid when I moved the, to Ohio state was the prominent role football tickets played in the oh, conversations. Oh, oh, don't get me started. 
That was quite a surprise. And quite frankly, it was frustrating to me because I was so used to having conversations with donors about, you know, the core of what they were Mm -hmm. trying to accomplish. And many of the conversations then were about, well, if I make this gift, what's it going to do to my seats and where will I sit in the stadium? And that was just a whole nother level that was important to learn. Like Mm -hmm. Lou and I and Rachel, we all had to be well equipped to answer those questions. Um, But it was a little disheartening to me because it wasn't about the core of how I like to think about philanthropy. It was more of a transaction. I couldn't agree with you more, Colleen. Transactional thinking is just not the foundation you want for a major gift conversation. Well, this has been a great discussion. I'm so looking forward to finishing the rest of this interview on next week's show. As always, I'm your host, Tom Dauber. Thank you for joining me as we journey together toward major gift mastery on the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast.